It's time for Thriller Thursdays here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Heart that I once again turn to the case books assembled in the year of our Lord, 1851. There is no great cause of grief that causes me to sigh as I peruse these simple problems of my youth once again. Merely the florid touches and lurid prose provided by my friend and colleague Dr. Jackson in the composition of the study. In his efforts to share with the curious public the exploits of London's own Trixia Dixon lady consulting detective extraordinary, certain deviations from the scientific method often crept into his work. In his defense, I have no doubt that Dr. Jackson means well, but never had he the slightest aptitude for the exercise of the deductive mind. Trixie Dixon. What? What? Tricks? What? Were you asleep? Oh, don't be stupid. Because you sounded... I am wide awake, bright-tailed and bushy-eyed. Tricks? What in the name of God could you possibly want right now? I'm with the client. Yeah? She's wondering if you have anything to report. Yeah. No. What? Tricks? Remind me. Tricks! Just... Just... I need to... I was typing something. Yes. A surveillance report? Yes. I was trailing James Barkley. Barkley, right? Right. And our client, Mrs. Helen Barkley, and her lovely piles of money were just wondering if you had any news on the disappearance of her husband, Thomas Barkley, or the possible involvement of his estranged brother, James. What are you, the narrator? Just try and pull it together and get down here, will you? Near where? The Barclay House. It's two in the morning. I'm aware of the time. The client is just about eight feet this side of hysterical. I've been over half the city looking for the mister and come up goose eggs. If you don't have something on the brother that says yay or nay, she's ready to call in Sabian. Just, please, shorter sentences, okay? I haven't slept in a couple of days. Tricks. I'll throw it together and, and get down there. Just let me look over my notes. All right. Twenty minutes. Then it's for the law. I just gotta... Just gotta look over my... Notes. (sighs) 
The clock was just chiming half past eleven when there was a rap at the door of the offices that I maintained with that most remarkable of lady consulting detectives, Tricia Dixon. A moment passed while our caller exchanged words with our landlady, Mrs. King, before being shown and presented to us as Mrs. Ida Barclay, an exceedingly handsome woman whose natural beauties were, for the moment, somewhat masked by her state of great concern. Dixon's eyes scarcely moved from the window through which she had regarded the fading light of the grey afternoon for some hours, seemingly lost in the gloom that pervaded her periods of mental inactivity. If Mrs. Barclay noted my friend's seeming disinterest, she was too polite to make much of it. I stood and showed her to the best chair. Thank you, sir. And if I may say, it is a great honour to make your acquaintance, Miss Dixon. I should never have bothered you except in a matter of the gravest urgency. Thank you, Mrs. Barclay. My friend and colleague, Dr. Jackson, is a frequent assistant to me in matters such as these. You will, I trust, have no objection if he takes notes. No, no, indeed. I should be most grateful for any sort of assistance in this matter, which I believe to be of the greatest urgency. You see, it concerns my husband, Thomas Barclay. Uh, Mrs. Barclay, before you proceed... If this matter is one of suspicion... Suspicion? I regret that I am exceedingly poorly qualified to aid you in your investigation, chiefly due to massive distaste and disinterest on my part. Miss Dixon, I assure you... There are numerous firms operating in London who would only be too pleased... Miss Dixon, far from being the sort of low matter you expect, nothing less than the life or death of a good man is on the line. Oh, yes? Yes. I greatly fear that my poor husband might have fallen prey to murder... Murder, you say? Why on earth did you not say so at once? How you brighten at the prospect. I do apologise if my enthusiasm seems a tad ghoulish. Miss Dixon is often quite suddenly energised by the prospect of an investigation worthy of her powers of deduction. You need not be alarmed. Dr Jackson is most correct, Mrs Barclay. I pray you keep your seat. Tell us only for what reason you make this extraordinary claim. Begin at the beginning and omit no detail. Jackson, your notebook. Of course. Well... I have heard it said that for every force in the cosmos, there is a force that acts in direct opposition to it. If that is so, it makes excellent sense that my husband, Thomas, as loving a husband and father as any that has ever been known, should be so wondrously featured. For he has in his brother James as complete an opposite as heaven has ever devised. An evil brother? This matter becomes more extraordinary by the moment. It might not be fair to say that James is truly evil, Miss Dixon, but he is a cad, a bounder and a cheat. Thomas made his fortune in the markets very young and has these past seven years had a comfortable gentleman's income. He keeps an office in the city to manage his affairs, but sets his own hours and keeps often as he sees fit to our home outside of town. All that he has he has procured through honest labour, but James has never known a day in such grace. He's a gambler and a sometime confidence man, though he has always avoided the punishment of law. Fortunate indeed. Where did the profligate James make his home? Why, here in London, of course. (laughs) As all good bounders do. Quite so. I imagine a black sheep such as James Barclay must have been quite an embarrassment to a respectable man such as your husband Thomas. Of course. Did he ever attempt to hide the existence of this prodigal from you? No, indeed, Miss Dixon. My Thomas was from the very first completely forthright with me. From the earliest days of our courtship, he made no secret that he had a brother from whom he was estranged, and just exactly why. Thomas knew that he had lived a life to be proud of, and that the only way that James should ever have any power over him, or I, or our happiness, would be to try and make a secret of him. All of our circle are aware of my brother-in-law's history and his faults. 
It made any sort of blackmail scheme that James might have devised utterly toothless. Blackmail, you say? Your husband thought his brother capable of such a crime. He did, and in this fear, he was not at all misguided, as I learned shortly before Thomas and I were married five years ago. Indeed, under what circumstance? It was the very first occasion I met James Barclay. He came to the door. It was quite unnerving. In many ways, he might have been the image of my husband, but rougher in his attire, his appearance. He struck me as having a leaner, more hunted sort of look about him, and I could not meet his gaze. So intently did he seem to dissect me with his eyes at all times. He made demands upon you. He wanted money. To go away, to keep quiet, to not disrupt my wedding by revealing himself, I made it very clear to him that he must look elsewhere for his ill-gotten gain, and that there was no profit in a secret that had long since been revealed. He went away. Thomas was furious. He drove at once into the city. Had a terrible argument with his brother. They have not spoken or laid eyes on one another since. But you have. I, yes, as it happens, he's come round to the house twice. Once shortly after the birth of each of our sons, to pay his respects to his new nephews, he said. He would call during the day when your husband was in the city. Yes, to avoid a reprise of their terrible row. And you were able to make a more complete study of James Barclay on those occasions. Not in great detail, Miss Dixon, for he persisted in his disconcerting stares towards me. I could not tell if they were provoked by some unnatural desires on his part, or from resentment of me and my place in his brother's life. He was always dressed well, though tastelessly, and the manner of his deportment suggested someone accustomed to rough living, putting on the airs of society for the purposes of his visit. Indeed, and if I may ask, is your husband the elder brother? He is, but by no more than an hour. They are twins, then. Polar opposites, but much alike on the surface. It is fair to say, it was another reason behind Thomas's frankness in telling myself and our friends of his brother's misfortunes. In order that they should never find themselves mistaking one for the other, and perhaps be tricked into one of James's confidence plans. Admirable preparation, indeed. As you say. And now, Mrs. Barclay, the rub, if you please. I'm sorry. The reason for your visit, the dramatic fourth act of this domestic tragedy. Perhaps a week ago, perhaps two, I began to notice that Thomas was distant, preoccupied. I questioned him about it, and he confessed that his brother had written to his offices. James was in trouble, serious trouble it seemed. Though if Thomas had all of the details, he did not see fit to share them with me. Was James asking for money? Yes, to go away to the West Indies or even as far as Australia. Was your husband so inclined to be rid of the problem once and for all? He was not. He could not see why we should pay for his brother's mistakes, nor could he be sure that James would not use the money to confound his folly still more. Perhaps making Thomas an accomplice in the process. Had he told his brother of his refusal? He was to have done so two days ago. He told me that James was to call on him in his offices at eleven o'clock. He would then and there be satisfied in his brother's replies, or be done with him once and for all. And you have heard nothing since. Not a word. I came into the city that afternoon under pretense of an appointment, but half mad with worry. I stopped in to Thomas's offices and. Found it in a state of most terrible disarray. Cabinets were open, drawers emptied out. The small wall safe in which Thomas kept a small amount of securities had been opened and emptied. 
as in all the most hideous disturbance from the materialist state my husband keeps things in. And of your husband there was no sign? Still worse. There was indeed. His coat and hat still hung upon the peg. His personal papers were found in the desk by the police, and among two or three suits of clothes Thomas kept at the office for occasions and emergencies. I am almost sure that one of them was the day suit he wore when he left our house that morning. But what misadventure might have fallen my poor, dear husband, no one could say. You sent for the police at once. I did indeed. They are still examining the office, and men have been sent from our local constabulary to our home in the country, in case James should move against the family. But they have had no success in locating your husband or his brother. None at all. And I'm most terribly afraid. To whom did Scotland Yard assign the case? Detective Inspector Sabian. Ah, a fine bull for this particular china shop, don't you think, Jackson? Quite so. I'm afraid I don't understand. Inspector Sabian is an old friend, Mrs. Barclay. I have no doubt that he will be delighted to have us involved. Come, Jackson, the game is afoot. Mr. Justice... I just can't understand it. What kind of an operation are you supposed to be running here? A very small one, Mrs. Barclay. A mom-and-pop shop, if mom and pop weren't actually married and didn't really like each other very much. I paid you good money. Yes, Mrs. Barclay, you have paid us $35 a day in good money, for which you have had two investigators working around the clock for two days. You can check around if you'd like, but that's a bargain. It isn't much of a bargain if your partner never shows up. Well... Leaving aside for the moment that that is an interesting point. No hard-boiled bon mots for that one, Justice? Well, well. Lieutenant Sabian, I don't know who taught you a great big word like that, but give it back before we find ourselves at war with France. I think I like our chances. Mrs. Barclay, I'm Lieutenant Sabian. We spoke on the phone. Yes, of course. Thank you for coming. Where's Dixon? And here we return to the aforementioned interesting point. She could have run into some trouble with James. I'm telling you, he's dangerous. Next to that. We picked him up half an hour ago. He's in a cooler downtown by now. He was still in his room? Yeah, just like you said. Didn't put up much of a fight either. He was just sitting there like he was expecting us. Did he say anything? Did he give you any clue what he had done with Tom? Nah, he didn't say a word. If your husband is still alive, the best chance of reaching him in time would be... Oh, I don't know. If, say, an allegedly trained investigator had been following him around for days, watching his every move and making detailed notes... I said she'll be here. She's on her way. So why isn't she here now? Wait! Wait! Don't tell me. I just remembered that I don't care. We've had men posted here in a Tom Barkley's office for two days, looking for any sign of him or his brother and come up goose eggs. Now I find not only have you two geniuses been playing your own game, but are concealing evidence from a police investigation. We're concealing nothing. You ain't revealing much either. Well, modesty forbids. Your cute routine is going to play real good in front of a license review board. Do you think I should start off with Coney Island Baby, or is that too corny? Get your hats. We'll take this little dog and pony show downtown, and if Dixon doesn't show with the skinny and I mean pronto, God help the pair of you. You are listening to Blackjack Justice. From DecoderRingTheater.com And so it was that Tricia Dixon and I embarked upon one of the most singular matters which we have ever been called upon to investigate. Our first step was the offices of the missing Thomas Barclay, which had stood abandoned since the moment two days earlier when Mrs. Ida Barclay had found the rooms rifled and her husband missing. In point of fact, abandoned was hardly the correct term, 
as we waded through a sea of policemen's blue cloaks on the street, the front steps, and the hallway, to say nothing of the small crowd that had gathered in the vicinity to ogle and guess at what might have drawn Scotland Yard's finest out in such force. Upon learning the identity of my rightly famous friend, we were ushered into the offices themselves, where we found Detective Inspector Sabian, thick-necked and red-faced as always, who made his way to us with an outstretched hand. Well, well, Trixia Dixon is our live and breathe, and Dr. Jackson, too. Well, you are a right welcome sight and no mistake. An interesting little puzzle, Sabian, from what I hear. You have no objections, I hope, if I look about? No, no, none at all. We would be most grateful for any light you could shed on the matter. Unofficially, of course. Of course. My men have made a thorough examination of the rifled files and the desk and found nothing. Uh, yes, I have no doubt they discovered all that they could, and that there is now very little hope left of anything at all being found. Still, one cannot be too careful. What did the thief, or thieves, get away with, Inspector? Oh, why, sir, nothing at all. But, but they have plainly been everywhere. Yes, sir. We, um, that is, I suppose that they were looking for something that they failed to find. And yet, Inspector, if you will examine these drawers, each only part full, some empty entirely, it seems likely that a substantial amount of material has been taken away from here. And in a hurry, too. Yes, Miss Dixon, but we have made a thorough investigation of Mr. Barclay's records, and everything that should be here is here. Nothing of Thomas Barclay's appears to have been taken. Fascinating. I hope you don't mind my saying, Miss Dixon, but every time you find something fascinating, it plays havoc with my nerves. To say nothing of others at the yard. You don't blame Miss Dixon for that, I hope, Inspector. Well, indeed, no, Dr. Jackson, not in the least. But there is no denying it takes a special sort of problem to interest our friend here. What is it she's doing now? Dixon? I say, what is it? Astounding. Jackson, it is utterly astounding. What is? The inspector here is quite right. Forgive me, inspector, I intended no offence. None taken. I should have greatly preferred to be mistaken if it might have meant a quick resolution to this business. Indeed. I have made a very brief inspection of the remaining papers and can find no cause to suspect anything might be missing beyond the sheer volume of unoccupied space. Mr. Barclay dealt in no goods of any kind. None, miss. Then there is no possibility that a recent sale or sales had created so much room. There is not. Still better, and worse. <laughs> you will observe this file drawer containing financial records for the past year. You'll see the files have collapsed back upon themselves, as if a nearly equal volume of files had recently been removed. This drawer is in a similar state. Surely anyone would have consolidated the two drawers to keep their contents organized. Unless. Unless what? Well, I haven't the foggiest. But as they plainly didn't, Inspector, there must be an unless somewhere. Well done, Jackson. You see, Inspector, he learns my methods. Well, yes, but what does it mean? Tell me, Sabian, is there a similar small army of policemen outside Mr. Barclay's home? Why, yes, for the protection of the family. Thank you for seeing us, Inspector. We'll be in touch. Well, yes, but... Come, Jackson, there is a train leaving at 3.15. We will want to be on it. But where are we going, Dixon? To the country, Jackson. To the country. And so it was that Tricia Dixon and myself arrived outside the Barclay home, uninvited and unannounced. It was clear that Inspector Sabian had not been exaggerating. One could see the legions of law enforcement from quite some distance up the country lane. Rather than proceed up the path to the house, 
Tricia Dixon broke away and followed the old stone wall into the fields that surrounded the Barclay home, with myself in fast pursuit and yet struggling to keep up with her. At last she spotted a high point overlooking the Barclay land and motioned for me to follow her around behind the place, where we found an old goat path leading up the hill. Quietly, Jackson. Uh, Tell me, did you bring the gun? Yes, of course, Dixon. But why? That we shall shortly discover. Unless I miss my guess, we will find an observer lurking up this path, where he might easily observe the house. An observer? But who? James Barclay. Dixon, that is ridiculous. Is it now? There must be 30 police hereabouts. 34 by my reckoning, plus any that might be in the house itself. And everyone is here because they suspect James Barclay of murdering or kidnapping his brother Thomas. Why? Because James needed money desperately and Thomas had it. Who told us so? Why, Mrs. Ida Barclay did. And who told her? Her husband Thomas did. None of this is the sole reason to suspect any foul play, of course. No, but... But? Well... The man hasn't been seen for two days. And there we have it. Have what? None of this explains why James Barclay would be observing his brother's house from this spot. It affords the best view and the best concealment. And most of all, he has no place else to go. Come. Quietly. There. You there. Who the devil are you? Jackson. I advise you to keep still, sir. What is the meaning of this? Put that pistol away. Mr. Barclay, I presume. You have me at a disadvantage, miss. I say, Dixon, how the deuce did you know? You had best come with us, Barclay. Jackson, we must send to London for Inspector Sabian. He will want to be present for this. You mean... Yes. I am now ready to solve the mystery. What? What? What in the hell do you want? Hi. Who is this? Tricks, I need you to dig in, okay? I'm at headquarters, and Sabian is barking mad. They've got Jim Barkley in a holding cell, and our client has that look in her eye. You know, the one they get right before they tell a bunch of reporters that we're idiots. Could you get back down here about five minutes ago with that surveillance report? Jackson, you couldn't possibly have called at a worse time. Finally. Dixon, when I say get your fanny downtown, this is a murder investigation, do you know what I expect? Sabian, if you expect anything from my fanny, I don't want to know about it. What kind of a detective do you call yourself? Trixie, for the love of Pete. I paid you good money. Hey, take a number, lady. Ah, pipe down. I'm still in a fog here. She's drunk. I'm not drunk, Ida. I'm sleepwalking. I spent two days... Edie. What? Edie, not Ida. Yeah, right. Edie. What did I say? You said Ida. Right. See? Plastered. Edie Barkley, not Ida Barkley. Dixon! Sabian, cut the girl a little slack. She spent two days trailing James Barkley, hoping he'd lead us to his brother. And that worked out real well. I couldn't be more impressed. Where's the report? Tricks? I'm trying to... Tricks? I'm trying to remember something. Tricks! You are really getting under my skin, you know that? Where's the report? What report? Your surveillance report. Sabian seems to think it's evidence. Though of what, he couldn't say. Edie, not Ida. Tricks? Yeah? Just between us girls. You're not plastered, are you? What exactly is the holdup here? Sabian, do you think you could say something particularly obsequious in a really bad English accent? What? Never mind, it was just a thought. Just what kind of a detective are you supposed to be, anyway? Madam, I am a... consulting detective. Tricks? That's it. Dixon? Jackson, did you say they have James Barkley in a holding cell? 
Jackson. He's next door. Well, show him into the study, my dear Sabian. The study? Or the library. I'm not a fussy gal.、Uh, Nelson, could you bring Mr. Barkley in here, please? And a nightstick such as I might use to, you know, beat people to death. What's going on here? Mrs. Barkley, you've been under terrible strain. I hope to bring that to an end. But I require your patience for just a few more minutes. This had better be good. Ah, Mr. Barkley. How nice to see you again. Do we know each other? Doesn't matter, really. James Barkley, you know that these people suspect you in no uncertain terms of the murder of your brother Thomas? Is that a fact? Well, let them try and prove it. You rotten little. Gently, <laughs> Mrs. Barkley. Gently? He murdered my husband! Did he indeed? When you and your husband met, he told you right away that he had a brother who was involved in some very shady dealings. He told everyone, in fact. You thought it was to avoid a blackmail, to render any scandal toothless by dragging it out into the open. That's right. It's just the opposite of what most men would do if they had a black sheep of a twin. But after all, one wouldn't want friends or acquaintances who spotted James Barkley up to his old tricks to think that he was their society friend Thomas, especially since he was. What? You're crazy. Possibly. But certainly your wife never saw the two of you together. And when James did try and put the squeeze on the soon to be Mrs. Barkley, he always stared directly at her. Hard. The kind of stare you'd keep up if you didn't want a lady to look right at you. Close enough to realize you didn't just look like Thomas, you were Thomas. What? And it allowed for the conveniently manufactured family feud. So your new wife would never expect to see the two of you together or push for a reconciliation. What? And it explains the records missing from the office Thomas Barkley maintained in the city. It was his headquarters, his base for turning him from independently wealthy Thomas into ne'er do well James, who still brought in the money after all these years. A few weeks ago, Thomas began acting strangely. He admitted that his brother James might be in real trouble at last. He went into the city under pretense of meeting James and began to clear out his office of any trace of his alter ego, so the two would never be connected. Unfortunately, his wife discovered the office in this state, to say nothing of Thomas's empty suit, and panicked. And from that moment since, the office and the Barkley home have been swarming with police, all looking for James, and making it impossible for James to turn back into Thomas and re enter the respectable half of his life. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's all true, isn't it, Barkley? Yes. Yes, it's all true. What? 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 My brother James, he never came back from the war. His body was never found, but there were birth records. School records. It was easy enough to play both parts and to take risks that I could never have taken as myself. I built up a small fortune, started living like a gentleman, but there was never enough money to. never enough to stop it once and for all. Well, Miss Dixon, that was a right puzzle and no mistake. Don't know what we would have done without your assistance. Oh, I am certain that you should have muddled along, my dear inspector. Good day. What will become of the Barclays, Dixon? After all, no crime has been committed. Not by Thomas, it's true, Jackson. What crimes he might have committed as James, I cannot say, nor is that our concern. I am not employed by the police to supplement their deficiencies. I cannot say how the story will end. I was merely concerned with the puzzle. But really, Dixon, such wild leaps of imagination. How could you possibly have known you were correct? Elementary, my dear Jackson. Elementary.
Blackjack Justice, episode 29, The Problem of the Perplexing Pastiche, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Julie Cogger, Greg Taylor, and Scott Worth Moyle. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Hi, I'm Persephone Rose, executive producer for Postal Roach and the creator of Emperor Pigs. I'm a huge fan of audio drama, and if you're listening to this right now, I've got a sneaking suspicion you might be too. So make sure your headphones are plugged in tight, because you're going to want to hear this. From July 24th through the 26th in 2020, producers, directors, composers, writers, actors, technicians, and fans of audio drama are gathering together for the world's first international modern audio drama convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia. This is going to be amazing. If you like panels, there's going to be panels. Workshops, they've got them. Studio sessions, swag events, live performances, and most importantly, all your favorite creators are going to be there. You can get all the details and purchase your tickets online at www.madcon.com. That's M-A-D hyphen C-O-N dot com. See you at MadCon. <laughs>